the Offside Rule exclusives. 146 caps for her country, a World Cup bronze medal and a host of club honours from FA Cups to league titles. Jill Scott has done it all, but England manager Phil Neville says she can keep going until she's 40, so she's definitely not done yet. Born in Sunderland, the Manchester City player had a choice between running and football and fortunately for her club and country, she chose the latter. Speaking with the offside rule, Jill discusses getting over the 2019 World Cup disappointment, her love for her family and what's on her mind after football. The Offside Rule exclusives with Kate Borsay. Well, we're at the City Football Academy for our next exclusive and I'm sat opposite Jill Scott. Hi, Jill. Hello. Nice (laughs) to see you. Thanks for having us. It's quite sunny outside. It's just before Christmas, actually. And I wondered, well, look, you've had this mega media engagement recently. We switched on full well Christmas lights, yeah. which must have been the pinnacle <laughs> of your uh, of your sponsorship endorsements um, or not. But um, but just tell us a little bit about about where you're from and what that means to you as well. Yeah, well, Sunderland is my hometown um, and Fulwell is a part of Sunderland. So, yeah, that's kind of like my little my little town. And, yeah, they asked us to go up and cr- turn the Christmas tree lights on, which it was just a local Christmas tree. But it was just so nice to get up home and see everybody. I think there's about 100 people gathered around and I think 75 of them were my family. So, <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, it was, a, it was a great day. And I think Sunderland always uh, holds a special place in my heart. Um, Whenever you go through the city, it's just football, football, football. And I think that's why I've probably gone on to achieve what I have because of being born in Sunderland and being raised there. You don't have a choice in Sunderland, do you? No, you don't. About football. No. And the documentary about it is absolutely right, isn't it? The whole essence of it your life revolves around it yeah it does it it definitely does I think from a a young age you're given a football strip um even as a baby I think you've got pictures of you in football kits and yeah you have no choice at all and then you're carted off to football matches probably before you can walk I think so yeah you definitely don't have a choice and people say there's something in the water because we have a bit of grit and determination I think the players that are from there so yeah but I, I wouldn't have it any other way is that you think relate back to your work ethic as well because when you say grit and determination I think of you when you say that and your work rate and your athleticism we were talking before about you being probably one of England's most important players you know an engine within the team does that all stem do you think that that kind of work rate all stem from your upbringing yeah I think um I I know that the work rate side is is my main part of my game and I'm not ashamed of that I know there's parts of my game in terms of technical and stuff like that where players excel more than me in them areas but yeah it's definitely something that I'm proud of I think I think one thing is as I was kind of um coming through the ranks I suppose or centre of excellence and stuff like that I wasn't always the best player and I think that's where I've probably got my determination from because I was determined to work hard and and become not one of not one of the best players but I always thought I need to be a player that somebody needs in their team and that's that's something that I've had to work hard for and I think that work ethic side is is probably what does get us into into England and into teams like Manchester City but it definitely gets a bit harder now that I'm a bit older um but yeah I love that part of the game I, I still love like a Kevin Ball who used to play for Sunderland 
Finland style <laughs> tackle where the player goes flying up in the air on a slide <laughs> tackle. I'm, I'm still very old school, to be honest. <laughs> and that was really astute of you, actually, to at a young age recognise, right, you know, I may not set out to be the most skillful player, but, but I'm going to be the most useful player. I'm going to make sure that I'm useful within a team. Yeah, I think when you when you play for younger teams, um, and even as I got older, really, I think some managers will probably want to play them um, the players who's got the skills and the the technique and and the flash players. And I think I remember thinking to myself one day, I, I won't tell the story because then I'd be bringing the manager out. But I remember thinking, you might not <laughs> come want... on, Jill. No, I can't. <laughs> I can't. But they'd be like, you might not want to players, but I, I'm gonna make you need to players. And I remember saying that in my head, and I think. Ever since I said that to myself, it's gone back a few years now. I think, yeah, I think that's where it stemmed from having this attitude where I was like, I'm going to make you need me. And I think I did kind of change their decision. I won't reveal if it's a male or female. <laughs> I think I can take it. Well, I, I can take a guess at either one of two people, but I'll let our listeners <laughs> yeah. uh, surmise for themselves. What was your family life like? I've met met your brother. I don't know how many you've got, but I've met one of them over yeah. in Canada who was just full of pride <laughs> yeah so I've got one brother and two sisters so I've got an older sister and that's where a lot of people have seen on my social media um my nephews and my niece I'm very proud of they they're my older sisters and then I've got a younger sister who well I say younger she's 22 23 now so she's the baby of the family so yeah I feel feel very lucky for for my childhood um my mum and dad split up from a young age but probably benefited from having two Christmases at times and yeah I had a very happy childhood my mum was re- responsible for a lot of that and always put us first always worked hard to enable that we could go on to achieve our dreams and I think one thing I've always always said about my mum is she never put us under any pressure so I used to just take myself off to football age 9, 10 the coach um, at the time used to pick us up because back then that was allowed and he was a great guy I still keep in touch with him now and I used to just come back in from football and some days I don't even think she knew that I'd been but I just liked how I could <laughs> four kids you probably yeah, lose one yeah, occasionally yeah, and you yeah, wouldn't yeah, notice exactly. right? she was probably like that's one less tea to make tonight <laughs> but I also did running as well and I, I spoke to her the other day and it was interesting because she used to like to come along to the running events because it's in the sun the the running around the track everything's nice or would you rather our daughter was on muddy pitches getting <laughs> kicked by 30 year old women couple of men and a dog watching. yeah exactly <laughs> but I was 14 playing against 30 odd year old women and she hated watching so I think she at the time would have rather yeah. pursued the running but yeah she's she's very proud for for what I've kind of gone on to achieve how did that happen then being a teenager yet playing against fully grown women how did that um, because at the age of 14, I got into Sunderland first team along with Steph Horton, Carly Telford. Um, that was the age that you could play with the first team from them. Um, and yeah, it was tough. They were, they were obviously a lot bigger than me, even though I'm tall now. But I think that's where we, we knew we had to be rough and ready and ready mm. to compete. So I think there's definitely something in that as well. But they also didn't hold any punches. I remember coming on for my debut at Sunderland. Again, I won't reveal the name, but centre midfielder turned around and was like, why are you putting her on at the top of our voice? And I was just <laughs> this scared little kid. Um, and I remember going on and thinking, Jill, don't make a mistake. Don't make a mistake. 
So, but from an early age, I, I recognise like if you're not going to get it right, you will get told, and I think that's why now I'm quite open to criticism and can take it on the chin. Mm. That's very interesting. <laughs> and the running, I knew about the marathon running. In fact, it comes up in a lot of the lionesses stuff because yeah. I I get that it's something that you're very proud of and rightly so but did you also do kind of shorter distance as well yeah well that mini marathon win in London is kind of people think of it as a marathon I was 13 at the time and it was about three and a half miles but yeah <laughs> take it Joe <laughs> yeah. but I ended up winning it but yeah I, I did a lot I, re- I still remember my times now age 14 I was running four minutes 47 for a 1500 meter wow so I, I was on English school standard times and I think they really believed if I'd stuck at it I could yeah. have gone on to run for England but it was it was the enjoyment side really I, I used to win and I'd be like oh great I've won and then that was it but I think when you win with a team it's it's just different and my passion was was always with football running was just something that came about because I'd done well at mm. the football so you prefer that 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 kind of tribalism aspect of football I suppose being in a team working as a team winning as a team yeah rather than perhaps the kind of solo solo glory yeah, of running I think if people that knows as a person they know that I'd be no good at an individual sport I, I, if I'm in the gym because <laughs> if I'm in the gym now and I'm told to do things on my own I end up just mucking about and I, I turn into this child to be honest with you I start singing and stuff like I'm just a team player I, I know I'm a team player so although I do think I've got the dedication I don't think I would to be an individual athlete I think you have to be very comfortable with time on your own and I'm, I'm probably not well that's probably the result of being one of one of four kids yeah and it's that attention span thing as well I think if you're a solo player if you're a solo you have to you have to really be able to concentrate for long periods of time and that that doesn't suit everyone does it <laughs> no it's it's actually funny this is going to sound quite embarrassing but um when I was playing in a, a major tournament I, I used to actually get not get help but I used to speak to someone because I'd be like how do I keep concentrating for the whole 90 minutes and they were like what do you mean and I was like and I used to have to think about the game in 15 minute spells which, to be able to get yeah through it. and I know that that sounds quite like embarrassing saying it now but it did like an hour and a half is, is a long time sometimes mm-hmm. and I know I'm always busy obviously got things to do on the pitch but yeah sometimes I'd feel like time was going so slow so I used to uh, meet with kind of a psychologist and they used to take us through techniques of getting through games so that's probably a, an interesting fact yeah yeah no it's interesting <laughs> and, and I know that you've spoken about working with psychologists before in the kind of um the mind what did you call it around England the mind something or other uh, or oh, the mind gym was it the mind gym you're testing us now if I if I, well, well, I know I'm, yeah. a, I'm asking you to dredge <laughs> up the research that I should have written on this piece of paper um, no, the, the mind <laughs> the no mind the mind gym, gym yeah because I think people obviously neglect it sometimes you, you do your technical tactical work on the pitch you do your strength training in the gym but God, 80% of it or even more is in your head, I think. Like when you're out there and things aren't going well, um, I know you rely on probably your, your speed and your skills, but it's what's in your head. Are you willing to put the work in? But we had a guy called Adam Streeter uh, when we were <clears throat> with Mark Sampson and uh, he was fantastic. He, he really was. He he, he would made, make us do things like that were really uncomfortable. I, re- I remember one particular day turning up and it was set out like a speed dating type thing. Not that I've ever been 
Bane Spade der. <laughs> and you, ha- you had a mint, uh, was it about 30 seconds with each player? And you just had to tell them why you thought they were so good. And even though that sounds so easy to say, it was it was quite uncomfortable to do, but it just made us appreciate each other a lot more. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and what about school and stuff? Did you, were you always just really, really sporty or did kind of academic or kind of schoolwork come into it at all? Um, I was, I'm not going to blow my own trumpet, but I, I do think I was naturally quite clever. Um, my brother and my sister, my brother's a, a physics and chemistry teacher in Spain and deputy head of a school over there. Wow. My younger sister's just got a master's in um, criminology. So I was I was in an underachievers group at school because they thought that I wasn't putting in enough work to achieve achieve my grades. But I think I was probably putting in too much work on the football pitch and was just knackered for school. But um I think, yeah, probably concentration again. I, whenever I was had to sit in my room and do revision, I'd end up performing a concert, like pretending I was like at Wembley performing some kind of... Con- I just didn't have the attention to do it. But again, I always say to my mum, like, thanks for just letting us kind of do what I need. I'm not saying that she didn't push us, but I remember when I had to pick my options and I said to her, I really want to do art. And she was like, why? And I said, I I just, I like the people in the class. I was rubbish at art, but she let us do it. And I think that's one thing I I am grateful for that she didn't say I had to do this and I had to Mm. do that. What kind of, um, or who were you pretending to be in these concerts in your bedroom whilst you're supposed <laughs> to be doing it? Spice just... Girls, I think. Spice nice. Girls, yeah. Which it's one? In... Oh, probably sporty. It'd yeah, have to be, wouldn't probably. it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm making myself sound a bit crazy, aren't I? But yeah. No, but I think. <laughs> I think we know that about you anyway. You've got yeah, a really strong personality. <laughs> we wouldn't be the first people to speak to you where you've revealed a few wacky things about yourself. So yeah, you can let rip, it's fine. <laughs> the Offside Rule Exclusives. Most capped England player at the World Cup. So you're getting to that point in your career, aren't you, where people are calling you a veteran? <laughs> yeah. How does that feel? Yeah, I think um, there's there's been probably this year a few records kind of that that I've broken, as you say, most most caps at a World Cup, which um, I actually can't believe that to break that is is fantastic, and then also uh, most WSL appearances yes. as, as well at the weekend. So yeah, I think when them records start coming around, you start to think, have I done well or am I just getting old and <laughs> I've been around too long? But yeah, it it is. It's hard to take sometimes because I just feel like that young kid running around the football pitch. Yeah, everything hurts a little bit more, but I still feel like I can physically compete. But I just feel like this number's getting higher and higher. Um, I'm 33 next year, so I know that I'm not going to play forever. But in my head, I still think I can. <laughs> Which is a good mentality to have and I know Phil said that you can carry on playing until you're 40 so <laughs> apparently you're fine for another two or three tournaments Jill and what's it like thinking about because I guess when you start to kind of break those records and when you start to kind of get called a veteran and a, and a role yeah. model you, you do start to think about what's kind of coming up next as well do you do you have to do you have to think about that now the next stage or actually is it better for you to just to just not think about that yet 
Um, I think since joining Manchester City, I probably have thought about it more because I think they are eager to make sure that you've got a plan, which is great. But then at the same time, I am very much just think to the next day kind of mm. person. So probably I think, can't concentrate on three Yeah, I probably time. can't. That's true. Um, <laughs> day-to-day <laughs> tasks are a struggle. But yeah, I think um, I think in my head, I, I know that time's going to come and it doesn't scare us. It really yeah. doesn't. I think I'm quite excited for it. And I think with my personality and stuff like that will I go into one thing probably not I'll probably I'd like to do a bit of coaching I've done like a few talks recently at at different events and stuff and And you've got your coaching school your coaching academy as well yeah yeah coaching academy as well so yeah I think I'll just have to I kind of see it as starting out again really like even with coaching they say oh you could go on and be manager of this team manager of that team but I think it'll literally be like when I started playing football again I'm going to have to be told that I'm bad at things I'm going to have to work at things and I'm going to have to put in the the hard work to mm. kind of reach the levels that people like Nick Cushion, Casey Stoney, there's, there's so much mm. work goes on behind the scenes that yeah. people don't see. Um, and that worries us a little bit, if I'm being honest. <laughs> Fair enough. I look at people like Casey and, and I have wondered whether you've looked at someone like Casey and, and, and thought, actually, that would be a really good thing for me. Or whether there are players around you, whether at City or at England, and you think, they're going to be the next Casey Stoney, the next player to really go and go and make a serious go at, at sort of managing. And also in Casey's case, obviously, she's enjoying a lot of success at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I think um, Casey's one of my good friends and someone that has always offered me advice throughout my career and someone that I really respect. Um, we've had some great conversations over the years and I think she was always going to go on to, to manage or coach. Um, but then I, I look around and I think the knowledge that Farrah Williams has on the game, obviously she's still playing now, but I hope that she goes into to coaching or management. But you just never know, do you? It's where, where people's passion lies and opportunities as well. It's it's not like you just finish playing and then all these people knock on your door and say, do you, do you want a job? You have to go out there and find opportunities. And then I suppose opportunity without hard work is is nothing so I am a big believer in kind of just do the right things day by day and the rest will take care of itself but I could be sitting in here in a few years with no job so oh, Jill. <laughs> don't hold us to that <laughs> um, I've just turned over the page page of my notes and the, the first page Jill looks like I'm quite a good student <laughs> the second page just looks like I have a, a, a very disorganized brain indeed and I'll try not to hold this too close to Jill because it's probably tempting is it when Someone interviews you to just look over and see what's, yeah, that, what's that next question she's going to ask me. Right, and I, I, <laughs> I can't even help you with this one. <laughs> um, your role in the England setup and at City as well, actually, are you are you sort of taking taking and, and are you happy with a senior role? Do you help the younger players? What's your how do you how do you use your experience? I guess. Yeah, um, obviously I, I recognise that I'm a senior player and there's, there's younger players coming through. Um, I've never actually been given an official senior role. Um, Shocking. I don't I know, I need, I need to question them on that. <laughs> Maybe it's because I like to have too much of a laugh or they don't take it too serious. <laughs> but I think a lot of my kind of 
leading by example comes on the pitch. I'll always give the girls advice if if they need it, but I think, yeah, from the way that I play, I think that's where I always demand high standards in training and games and, and stuff like that. But I think the girls always know that I'll always be there for them if need be. I think in terms of the leadership official walls, there's a lot of meetings and they'll probably think that I turn up late. So I think that's why they always bypass my name. <laughs> and do you think the younger players coming through now are different to you guys when you were that age because they they have been subjected I suppose to a certain point to better facilities it's now a professional game and I know that we're not probably seeing the full knock-on of that yet but do you look at some of the players coming in and are they different to how you were in any way at that age yeah I think so I think I think there was a, a time at Manchester City where there was a bit of a transition of younger players coming through and getting contracts at, say, 17, 18. And there was probably a bit of frustration from their behalf on how we were and probably ours on how they were. And it took us a bit of time just to reflect on each other's journeys and be like, look, we've had such different journeys. We kind of need to meet halfway because you never want to be that person that says, my way is the right way and we never used to get any of this back in the day and you should be so grateful. And at the end of the day, your journey is your journey and what you don't know you'll never know so we have we have a very good group here now and there's a I can probably use me and Kira Walsh as an example um it's probably 10 years between us but I recognize what a fantastic player she is and obviously she's came in here and yeah she's been given the facilities and stuff like that but she's worked so hard at our game to now be a starter at Manchester City and England and rightfully so and I think she the other way around uh, respects kind of my hard work and what what mm. I bring to the team. So it's a bit of a good story in the fact that we've had such different journeys with such different players, such different people. But when we step out onto that pitch, it, it somehow mm. works. This is the Offside Rule from Money Knees Media. You've been to eight major tournaments, I think, yeah. a lot with yeah. the England side. What's been the most challenging time, do you think, of of your England career so far? Oh, that's a good question. Um, that tour- the tournament, the Euros in two thousand and I have to get my years right now, two thousand and thirteen. I think that was challenging. I think because obviously, Hopal was the manager at the time. She took the team to a fantastic place. We'd had such good success under her, and then I feel like we felt a lot of responsibility for letting her down in that tournament. We didn't get out the group, and on the back of that, she ended up losing her job. So. I'd say that was was a challenging time. Yeah, I know there's going to be call for change at at different parts in in the playing for England. But yeah, I think as players, we probably took that quite hard because we were the ones that were going out there and performing Mm. and we weren't performing. That was over in Sweden, was it? Yeah, 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 yeah. But I think also when I look back on that tournament, there was just such fine lines, like we'd hit the post and if that had gone in, then we would have qualified from the group. And sometimes something so little can become such a big catastrophe. Mm. And I feel like that's what happened. Mm. What did you think when Mark Sampson came in? Because he was so different, wasn't he? We've spoken to a few lionesses over our time and it and it felt to them and I'm not sure if it's the same to you like it like it was just so different there was such a different approach oh yeah it was completely different um the way that were played I think obviously people could see were really relied on that determination and getting tackles in winning the ball back and then just hitting teams on the counter whereas with hope would probably played a bit more possession football 
and then we've gone back to possession football now. So, yeah, it was, it was different, but I think what happened was we started to get results and then with results becomes belief. And then I think I'll always be obviously um, grateful to Mark and the staff for getting us that bronze medal at the mm-hmm. World Cup because I, I look at that every day and um, it's up on my wall and that really does mean mean the world to me. So I think we had inc- we had incredible players. If if you look at the, the experience in that squad, Laura Bassett, Farrah Williams, Casey Stoney, yeah, and I think obviously to have that medal, uh, Alex Scott, then it really represents a, a group of women that went on to achieve something big. Yeah, and I think people, of course, they got excited about the World Cup over the summer, but I think that some newer fans to the game maybe don't appreciate or some people don't remember that Canada 2015 was really the Olympics and then followed by Canada was, you know, really the the start of that mega trajectory where you know people did get to know your name I'm sure you got recognized yeah. um more as well I'm going to f- fast forward to the World Cup this summer does it feel too soon to sort of try and make an honest analysis of of the tournament um I think when I look back at it I obviously success would have been us getting to the final. I think that would have been incredible to have that game for the English fans. But I think our minimum requirement would have been semi-final. So it's it's a bit of a mad one. I don't want to sit on the fence, but I don't see it as an unsuccessful tournament. Mm. But then I don't see it as a successful mm. one at the same time. But in terms of what we did for the game, um, we stayed in the tournament. For, we had seven games, which is great to get on telly and get people interested. Obviously, we didn't get that bronze medal, but we're competing in them games and I think one thing from this tournament is that we had a lot of younger players and I think the experience they'll have taken from this will have been incredible because I know a lot of them hadn't played in major tournaments like that so yeah I I look back on that tournament with with pride I think we played well at times Um, just fell short in that semi-final really against America but we know now what we need to do to Mm. make sure that we're making finals. Do you think it was the right thing to do to sort of set out from the start and say, we're going to win this? Because that was quite a bold statement, really, wasn't it? Do you think that that helped or hindered? Um, No, I think it helped our mindset because we wanted to be there for the whole duration. And the thing is, I don't think it was any surprise to us that Phil said that because from day one of him coming to La Manga, when Mo Marley actually took us because she was, it was when the appointment was being decided and Phil Neville came and visited us for the last day because he found out that he had the job and the first thing he said to us was, we're going to the She Believes tournament, we want to win, we're going to win this, we're going to, it was all about winning. So Mm. it didn't surprise us that that was his mentality because he is a winner. Mm. He he is a winner. Mm. If, If we don't win, I think he's, he's just as moody as we are but that's what you want you don't want somebody that's going to be happy with us losing do you think it's what part partly what made it quite difficult afterwards i know you you finished the tournament and you came back and you went pretty much nearly straight away into another couple of internationals yeah before then going to your clubs and sort of really starting the the, the wsl season do you think that that was how because a couple of players have spoken like steph and ellen have spoken about how how actually it took them a little bit longer to get to get over not yeah. winning it than they had anticipated. 
Yeah, I I openly said that I struggled. I think it was 10 days later when we were back in here and suddenly your club manager and a, a lot of the club players had had eight to nine weeks off um, because they hadn't made the, the World Cup with their nationalities. But I remember sitting in that first meeting and I was so fatigued mentally, physically, like seven games at that level is a lot. And I remember sitting there and they were like, right, we're going to try and win the league, win the FA Cup, win the Continental Cup, we've got Champions League. And I just felt like I was just in this blur. And I, I remember, which I, I'm not ashamed about saying, but it, I think it, we went straight into fitness fitness testing. And that day I just broke down. I was like, I'm just not ready to kind of be back and training at 100%. But I spoke up and Manchester City was so good with me and, and give us... Um, just I didn't have time off but just my training was kind of tapered down a little bit but you don't realize how much it actually takes out of you you're away from your family for 52 days I think it was you're putting everything into it you've you've trained with this dream in your head and then it's just gone and then it's like 10 days later right come on off you go again and I suppose you're only human at the end of the day so yeah I'm not ashamed to admit that it was a struggle to just get back into the routine Phil believes in you a lot. He says he said some wonderful things about you as well. Playing playing until you're forty, you've got another two <laughs> two or three major tournaments in you. He's spoken about your your work rate. You scored um the fastest goal by a lioness, didn't you, against oh, Norway? Yeah. So that's a nice one um to add into the bank. What happens then when he says stuff like players can thank their lucky stars that I'm in charge? You don't see many football managers taking the risks I do. He's quite bold, isn't he, with some of the things he says. And I think some of the media think that he perhaps talks a bit too much. Do you how do you work your head around that as players? How does it do do you ignore it? Do you roll your eyes? How do you how do you deal with those actually really quite bold statements? I think when you when you're in a team and you're getting managed, I think the most important thing is just to listen to what's said but inside them four walls. I think things from the media can sometimes be exaggerated or you don't know. I've done interviews before and the context that it's taken in is not the message I was trying to get across. So I think sometimes we have to let let Phil say what he needs to say in the media for whatever reason. I know managers in the past have sometimes tried to play games and stuff like that. So for me, I, I never listen too much to that. I just think it's about what you what's said to you on a one-to-one basis, what you need to work on and just really trying to stay logical. After a game, the emotions can be running high and things can be said. But if we're not performing, then we have to then be open to that criticism and then words that are going to be spoke about the team. But I do think we've got a good group of girls that, as I said before, will probably do take things on the chin and just get on with things because that's all you can do, really. Let's go back to your... um, Oh, in fact, I'm going to say... I'm going to ask you about 77,000 fans at Wembley. Yeah, it was it was incredible. It, it really was. It was kind of that day was a bit of a whirlwind as well. Just seeing all the it was kind of the day before we went and had a coffee and there was all of our pictures up on Wembley Way and yeah, it was actually crazy. I think we probably the first twenty minutes of that game we we didn't not play to the occasion. I think we were nervous and because it's just something that a lot of us I think there was probably only three or four of us had actually experienced that at Wembley for. 
Team GB. But yeah, it was it was such a good day and seeing all the, the old players as well. Um that was a great day, especially for me being around for a while, so I knew a lot of you them. You recognised everyone. Yeah, all of them. <laughs> I was like, Hey, hey I was thinking maybe I should be walking around the pitch with you rather than playing. But yeah, it was a, a fantastic day for women's football and I hope it's something that we can do again in the future. Olympics coming up and a home Euros as well, so you better not go anywhere <laughs> just yet. Yeah. What does that feel like, thinking about those tournaments coming up? Yeah, I think the Olympics is one that really excites us because it's around the corner and Team GB 2012 uh, playing uh, in London. That's one of the, the proudest moments of my career. It was probably the most enjoyable tournament, to be honest, just because, especially being an athletics fan, just walking around that village and Tom Daly would be coming out the same restaurant as you or walking past you saying Bolt or Mo Farah saying Morning. And I was like, am I in some kind of computer <laughs> game? It was it was a weird feeling, <laughs> but so, so incredible. And I, I've, I've got the Olympic rings tattooed on my side because I probably just took it all in and, and loved it. So to get the opportunity to play in another Olympics would be a great feeling. But at the same time, I'd there's only going to be probably 18 players go and I know competition for places is going to be absolutely massive if you look at the likes of Kim Little, Jennifer Beatty, Kaz Weir, Justin Aaron Cuthbert and name a few who can obviously make the Team GB squad as well, Jess Fishlock. So it's going to be going to be so difficult to make that team but I always say as long as you try and do everything you can and if you go, you go and if you don't, as long as you can say you did everything then I suppose that's one thing you can hang your hat on. And the prospect of a home Euros, obviously yeah. you've got such a such limited squad numbers, I suppose, for the Olympics. And you're right, it is across the different nations, home nations as well. But the prospect of a home Euros is it's one of those points in time, isn't it, where you think, OK, we can build to another surge in the game here. Yeah. What's the resp- Do you ever feel the responsibility of that? Because you are one of the generation who's come from not a lot of high profile with the game to through all these tournaments 2012 2015 world cup 2019 then we'll have the olympics then we'll have a home euros yeah do you have do you ever sit back and feel any responsibility or feel yeah. any pressure yeah you do i think even as an older player when you touched on wembley everyone's like do you not get nervous anymore but i think you get more nervous because you do feel more responsibility you're not that 19 20 year old kid just coming on for 10 minutes and um, maybe trying to make an impact or be a hero like now well in some games you're starting and there is a big responsibility on your shoulders but i do say that we, we do feel that even in, in the world cup we know if if we win that quarter final there's another game on telly uh, which means that a young child might be watching it with the mum, the dad, and they might ask for a pair of football boots at Christmas. And I really, I, I do think that we we do feel that and we do take that on quite well. I, I think a lot of the girls deserve a lot of credit because I do think they are fantastic role models and they're always willing to go above and beyond to do things to promote the game and without any fuss as well because we just want to keep making it better and we feel privileged to be in this position to do that. I know. I know if you told me 20 years ago I'd be sitting here and being able to kind of promote the game in the way that we can as individuals, then I would have said kind of aim to inspire before you expire. So that's something that, <laughs> that's something that I always try and do. <laughs> what could, what could jeopardise the upward trajectory that women's football is on in this country, both club-wise and 
national as well. Mm. I think results is massive. I think we've we've experienced it a little bit after the World Cup. As soon as we haven't got a couple of results, and this is in games that ultimately they don't really mean anything. They're not qualifying games, they're not tournament games, but that pressure's on us now because we're saying we want to take the game to the next level. But our performances and our results have to mirror that. So I think that's one thing. Um, yeah, okay, we've had a little bit of a hangover period after the World Cup, and we don't want to use it as an excuse but I think in the past when you come back from a tournament you you often have qualifying games against no disrespect to these nations but teams maybe like um, Serbia, Montenegro stuff like that where they, they are going to be a bit easier games so you kind of ride through this period and still get the results but I think we've obviously gone into these the game of Brazil uh, against Brazil at Middlesbrough again 30 odd thousand there the game at Wembley the, against Germany the second best team in the world so we've had to pick up big performances in order to compete with these teams and we haven't been able to reach that level since the World Cup which it doesn't worry me but it seems to have worried a lot of the media and there's been a lot of um, stories around the team but I think that's something that we need to control and we need to make sure that we keep winning the games to kind of keep everybody on this journey with us. It's difficult isn't it because you're trying to keep the profile of the game after the World Cup but at the same time you're right you know you guys almost needed to play not huge nations not have a huge spotlight again because you're being asked to go again aren't you yeah, you know, yeah going to the world cup all the emotional roller coaster the physical demands of that back into club and then you're you're having to go again and again and yeah i suppose that's that's the tough thing about trying to make a legacy is that you're almost working twice as hard aren't you yeah yeah you have to we we have to keep going 2015 i remember we got back on the wednesday um, we didn't crazy, get back into it? clubs till the Friday and we were playing on that Sunday because we, we took responsibility that we'll right, this is the time we can hit the crowds at the game and I remember I was playing against Jade Moore that game uh, for Birmingham and obviously I'd experienced the whole of 2015 tournament with her um, playing alongside her and I never do this in a game because I'm very like against it but I remember saying oh, just keep going Jade just keep going because <laughs> I think we were both in a mental place that was like we need to just get through it but I know I read an article from um, an American player I don't think she played for the national team but she really credited the England team for what we did when we got back from that tournament because she said it's so difficult to keep going but they take the responsibility of their sport very serious so yeah it is it is tiring and we don't really get these long four or five weeks off but at the end of the day we know that we have the best jobs in the world and I don't really want to call it sacrifice because obviously look look at what we call work and some days we're finished by three o'clock and I know how hard a lot of people have to work out I want to say the real world but you know what I mean so yeah it's it's a privilege to be in this position and and something that we need to just keep pushing. Mm. Um there's been a lot of talk about a wage cap recently. Sam Kerr has been signed by Chelsea. She'll start playing for them in January. There was also a story around the World Cup about Millie Brighton, Ellen White, and if you'd have won it, they would have got this sponsorship deal that would have made them yeah. overnight millionaires. <laughs> yeah. Is there a danger then, with Sam Kerr on reportedly £300,000 a season, is there a, is there a danger that the financial side of it is going to get in the way that there's going to be megastars like Sam Kerr turn up and the game's having to deal with the megastars, but also 
paying respect to senior players like you who've been here from the very start. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's like anything sometimes in, in jobs. I think people can look at the pay and say, oh, well, do they get more money than them and why are they? I think I think for me, obviously, I, I don't want to say that, I don't want to sit here and say money isn't important because obviously money's important for a lot of reason in terms of family and stuff like that. But I've never been motivated by by money because... I suppose on my journey, we were probably paying to play for a lot of the years, paying petrol and stuff like that. And Especially at Sunderland, you were paying yeah, to play, exactly, weren't you? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I look now and I'm very grateful for now to be playing full-time and to be getting paid to do that. So I think you can always look left and you can look right and say, oh, well, look, she's got that sponsorship deal and she's done this appearance and it's reported this amount of money. And But I think you can just waste so much energy. I'm actually, when that came out about Ellen and I was I was so happy for them and every game I was thinking to myself come on let's push on if we, if we can make two of our players millionaires <laughs> maybe they'll get the coffees in next time um, but yeah it's as you say it's, it's one of them I know the money issue has come up a few times but if Sam Kerr decides to come and play in our league and Chelsea are willing to pay that money then yeah. I suppose that's that's their situation I'll fire some quick ones at you now because I know we've got to wrap up okay. soon <laughs> Away from football, three loves of your life. Oh, God, that's a hard one. I can't say people because the others will get jealous. Um, <laughs> so three loves of my... So it's got to be coffee. I'd, everyone says about coffee, but it is more the social element of coffee. Um, my bed, because I like to have a nap. I do love to have a nap. Um, and I'd have to say a football just because obviously I'm training every single day. <laughs> Are you... It was away from football, Jill, but you oh, can have it? that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm tired. I'm tired. It's a concentration. Um, are, you, are you an artisan coffee person? Are you a brand coffee person? Are you a Starbucks or a Costa no, person? No, it's, it's got to be independent coffee now. I did, Costa was high on my list, but yeah, it's got to be independent coffee now. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Two things that get you down. You're very upbeat, but oh. what two things are really going to annoy you? Um... I, I hate when people's moods affect a group. I hate that sometimes. I'm like, just when you have like someone who's a bit of an energy zapper, I think maybe because I try and be upbeat. So I would say that. And also when you're driving and you give way and they don't put the hand up and say thank you. Oh my God, that annoys yeah, me too. I'd have that so one rude. As well. <laughs> I almost feel like driving my car out at them and saying, no, yeah. no, I won't let you through now. Yeah, cause, exactly. Cause you haven't given me a little flash of your lights and, and, a, and a wave. <laughs> um, this is an odd one. This, this is from producer Rabbi. I'm going to blame her for this. Okay. If you were a dog, what breed would you be? Oh, I'd have to be one of them skinny grey hounds, I think. Probably. <laughs> I reckon. I'd like to say a cute Labrador, but no, it'd be a skinny greyhound. <laughs> Ultimate Christmas present, nothing football related. You know what? People keep asking us what I want this year and there's nothing that... And this is going to sound so cheesy, but I said to my mum, I was like, I just want us to go to the markets and just to enjoy time. I think as you get older, I think it's about spending time as opposed to money. So I'm going to go up home and take my nephews and niece to a hotel and have a just a couple of days of doing daft Christmas games and stuff like that. Uh, song that means the most to you? What? Oh, well, I've got a tattoo with it, actually. So step by step, day by day, mile by mile, Whitney Houston. I think that probably sums me up in about nine words or something. Very good indeed. Your your karaoke song of choice? 
same one or something different? No, it's... Um, <laughs> Actually, I, I think you'd be very brave to attempt when you... No, God, yeah. <laughs> leave it alone. No, your limit. No, your limit. <laughs> um, it, it, that would be the equivalent of me taking Love and Hemp on, on a, in a sprinting race. I think sometimes you have to know what you're good at. <laughs> I actually like that. Like, Is it Like My Fire by Will Young? Just because okay, I like yeah, going, nice. like my fire, like my fire, like my fire. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, if you could play abroad, where would you play? Oh, somewhere hot. Um, I think I'd like to go to Australia, actually. Yeah. Actually, they're, they're connected to Manchester City, Melbourne. So come and get us in a few, in a few years. <laughs> Jill Scott, thank you very much. I know you haven't thought much about the future stuff, but surely media's got to be, especially if, if the managerial thing Yeah, I think this stuff would be all right because it's like um, face for radio, isn't it? Oh, don't so, be silly. I'm only joking. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'd be open to do anything, to be honest. But, We'd like a yeah. Jill Scott chat show, I think. Do you think? Yeah, I think okay. so. As we'll long as you can concentrate that. for long enough. Yeah, no, it'd have to be like a 15-minute episode or something. <laughs> YouTube. A YouTube series. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks very much for joining us on The Offside Rule. Best of luck um, to you and Manchester City for the rest of the season and whatever's ahead for the Lionesses as well. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to this week's Offside Rule exclusives. To hear more like this, just go to available episodes where you'll hear from the likes of former England and Arsenal striker Kelly Smith, former England and Chelsea forward Enia Luco, and Manchester United manager Casey Stoney, plus many, many more. In the meantime, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at OffsideRulePod and subscribe so you can be the first to hear our new episodes. The Offside Rule is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddyneesmedia.com. <laughs>